our heart, O Lord, that we would offer up to you now a a, a heart of surrender, a a heart of yieldedness as as we come to the word. Please make it live, O God, in our hearts, in Jesus' name, amen. Well, be praying for uh, Joni and I. Uh, we're leaving this afternoon, headed to the west coast of Florida, and um, where it's raining and cold, to a conference at Grace Emanuel Bible Church, the uh, Courageous Churchman Conference, and looking forward to what we'll be learning there. Get some opportunity to spend time with Joshua Rohrball, who's in training for ministry there at the seminary, um, Expositors Bible Seminary, and looking forward to that. Looking forward to tonight, although I won't be here, I hope that you'll be here tonight, a night of praise and uh, singing together and praying together. We, we have some scheduled, but we hope that you'll be maybe thoughtful about how you came to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and put that in some words and... and uh, Share your testimony of faith. Be, come tonight prepared to share how you've come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And a uh, very clear opportunity for the gospel uh, to, be, to be just going forward and going out tonight. So you come tonight for a wonderful time of praise. We were supposed to, we were scheduled to have uh, the Lord's table this morning. But for uh, some reasons that uh, really we can't control right now, uh, we're not able to do that, and so um, I just added about 10 or 12 pages to my sermon for this morning. Uh, we're, we're stepping out of the gospel, or we're stepping out of our study through First Peter, and because it was the Lord's Table Day, we were scheduled to be in Matthew chapter 7, and I'd like you to turn there this morning, if you will. When I had determined to preach from the Sermon on the Mount, This morning I had no idea that Pastor Rodney had already worked out that the scripture reading today would in fact be the beginning of of the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5. He's the one who plans the scripture reading schedule throughout the year and so I just find it interesting because I had actually thought of reading the first good portion of of Matthew chapter 5 this morning but we've already done that. If you were here Wednesday evening I mentioned to that group that uh, uh, I was happy to this past week receive a bread machine. Uh, We used to have one, but through a series of unfortunate drops that did not have anything to do with a failure in making bread, that bread machine was no longer operable. And I was happy to learn that my wife had in fact secured one when some friends wanted to offload theirs. Now you need to know something about me, and that is that I have been known to operate under the principle that instruction manuals are for sissies. And I, I, however, slightly perused the manual to make sure that I knew the order of ingredients, because I I did know that the order of ingredients, at least with a bread machine, is, is necessary. My wife was sure to ask me if I knew what I was doing, and my assuring nod and um, stare with slightly raised eyebrows assured her that I knew exactly what I was doing, and she could know how things were going to go. 
What I didn't realize, however, is that the first ingredient, which in case you're wondering and never have read the manual yourself, is water. However, when I looked at the first ingredient, what I saw was one three-quarter cups of water, thinking that one was the first in the ingredients. The first ingredient, three-quarters cup of water. And so I added three-quarters cups of water and then everything else just as that manual told me to do. But at the end, I thought, something can't be right. Three-quarters cups of water with six cups of flour. And so I went back, and sure enough, I had read the directions incorrectly. But never to worry. Pouring in just a bit more water on top of everything would work out, and it will work its way through. And that's exactly not what happened. I basically ended up with a loaf of glob. Whole wheat loaf of glob. Here's my point. Have you ever been around someone who acted like they knew what they were doing, pretended to know exactly how things should go, but really had no idea? And I'm seeing all the wives going... (laughs) Well, that was basically the case when it came to the Sermon on the Mount that we find here. Three chapters in the Gospel of Matthew. Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7. This sermon... A really a beautiful, masterful sermon by the Prince of Preachers himself, not Charles Haddon Spurgeon, but Jesus Christ. The sermon is built in a series of contrasts. And in this sermon, the thinking of man is contrasted with the authority of God. You see, men thought that they knew everything there was to know about the kingdom of heaven. They thought they knew everything there was to know about the kingdom of God. The religious elitists, they thought of themselves as as the experts when it came to knowing exactly how to become part of and and how to behave once they're in the the kingdom of God. And by the way, it wasn't just those religious elitists who thought they had the corner of the market. Everybody else thought that same thing as well. Everyone else thought that the religious elitists, the, the, the scribes and the Pharisees, man, they had it right. They had their own ideas about how things should go, but I want to tell you, they were oh so wrong. In the Sermon on the Mount, what we have here is the Lord Jesus Christ correcting their wrong thoughts. For instance, he's teaching about the kingdom of heaven, and in chapter 5, he essentially lays out the characteristics of the kingdom of heaven. The first part we read this morning uh, just details the members. Who, who is it that is a member of the kingdom of heaven? Well, he says, blessed are those who, who, who are poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are those who are hungering and thirsting after righteousness. Those are the members of the kingdom of heaven, not the, the uppity, not the ones who have it all together. And then he goes on from there talking about the mission of the kingdom. He says, you're you're, you're the salt of the earth. You're the light of the world. Your mission is to draw attention to the character of Almighty God, that they might glorify God. And and then he closes out chapter 5 with a discussion on the message of the kingdom. Jesus says six different times, you've heard that it was said, but I say to you. You have heard that it was said, but I say to you. And like Moses... 
the Lord Jesus Christ, who is the greater Moses, restates the law with its clear understanding. This is the the characteristics of the kingdom. Then from chapter 5, we go from the characteristics of the kingdom into chapter 6, where he talks about the conduct of the kingdom, in which he details three specific issues. One, the issues of worship. Don't pray in order to be seen by men. Don't give in order to be seen by men. Don't Don't fast in order to be seen by, you're just a hypocrite. And then he goes from talking about worship, issues of worship, to issues of wealth. How do you give and how do you think about what you have and your treasures on earth? And then from wealth, he talks about the issue of worry. Don't worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink or what you will put on. But I'm telling you, after these things, what you should, you should be uh, uh, seeking first, the kingdom of God and, and His righteousness. It's, it's all about righteousness in this, in this sermon. We might say chapter 5 is concerning the righteousness of the kingdom. Chapter 6, the religion of the kingdom. And chapter 7, the relationships in the kingdom. But this morning, I want to, and, and I was going to briefly, and now I'm not going to briefly, uh, direct your attention to chapter 7 in the home stretch of this sermon. As I said, the Prince of Preachers, the Lord Jesus Christ Himself, is just bringing this sermon together so masterfully. I wish that you could have been there with us some years ago as we stood there on that little mountain overlooking the the Sea of Galilee and just imagine the throngs of people coming to Jesus and then the disciples coming to Him as He sits down and begins to instruct them in this Sermon on the Mount. And he is, he's really calling for a response here in this last section of, of the sermon, the, the last third of, of this sermon. He's issuing a call here. We might say that it is the call of the kingdom, the characteristics of the kingdom in chapter 5, the conduct of the kingdom in chapter 6, and now the call of the kingdom in chapter 7. It is a call, a command really, It's a command to live under the rule and reign of the king, which is exactly how we started our service this morning. Oh, worship the king. It is is a call to live under the rule and reign of, of the Lord Jesus Christ. The kingdom here is the kingdom of heaven. It is the kingdom of God. It is living under his rule and and his reign. Now you know as well as I do that most people today think that there are many ways into heaven. Maybe you think that. Maybe you came here today thinking there are many ways into heaven. And I'm so glad that God brought you here this morning so that you can actually hear the truth. Lots of folks have their ideas about how things go. But often, theology is a lot like making bread. If you get things in the wrong order, you end up with a glob. And I want to help you not to end up with a glob in your spiritual life this morning. This morning, we're going to look at a section in Matthew chapter 7. We're going to begin in verse 13. And we're going to see in this sermon how Jesus moves on in the sermon and and gives a call to evaluate whether or not you are actually part of the kingdom of heaven. You know, you can be part of the kingdom of heaven before you actually are in heaven. Just like I can be part of an American before I'm in America or and not be in America. Every one of us here this morning has to come face to face with the words of Jesus 
in Matthew chapter 7, and we have to really give an answer. What we're going to do is we're going to examine the conclusion of this most famous sermon where we find the Lord Jesus Christ extending the call of the kingdom of heaven. Look here in Matthew chapter 7, and I'll begin reading in verse 13. Enter by the narrow gate. For the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, you will recognize them by their fruits. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven... On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall, because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand, and the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. And when Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teaching, For he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. In the final analysis, the call that Jesus issues here, the command that he gives, is a call or a command to enter the kingdom of heaven. That's the focus. Enter the kingdom of heaven. We can make it more personal. You enter the kingdom of heaven. Heaven. And so what I want to do this morning is focus on three aspects or three features of this call to enter the kingdom of heaven. Three features. One, the necessity of entering the kingdom of heaven. The necessity of entering the kingdom of heaven. Two, the nature. The nature of entering the kingdom of heaven. And then thirdly, the narrative. The narrative of entering the kingdom of heaven. So three features. Uh, the necessity, the nature, and the narrative of entering the kingdom. First of all, let's look at verse 13 and the necessity of entering the kingdom. Jesus does not just end his sermon with, uh, so that was nice or something like that. He doesn't just end his preaching without making a call. A call for, we, we, we could say a call for a decision. A call for a verdict. He concludes his sermon with what I would say is an appeal, an appeal to his audience. The Sermon on the Mount is beautiful. It really is. I would really encourage you to spend time 
just drinking this sermon and reading it. And it is a beautiful thing to behold. It's, it's, but, but you're not just supposed to admire its beauty. You're not just so, supposed to admire its flow. It's not to be considered as the height, as some do, of Christian religion. It is actually something that is intended to produce a response, to lead to a decision, to demand a verdict. It's not an invitation that many of us are familiar with. You know, there's no emotional mood mood music being played here. He's not dimming the lights. There's a simple, direct, clear demand, command. This is not, he's not inviting. He's commanding. And through this sermon, Jesus has really drawn the line very clearly. A line between man's way and God's way. A line between man's way, which is a a religion of achievement, human goodness, human merit, human deserving, and and God's way. The religion of of God is the religion of righteousness. It is the way of, of grace by faith. And God has set, if you will, a decision before, before men. He's issued this call, this command before men. This is what we find this throughout Scripture. I think it's interesting to compare Jesus restating the law and the way that Moses restated the law in the book of Deuteronomy. Jesus, uh, Moses used a series of three sermons throughout Deuteronomy. And at the end, he said this, I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that I have set before you life and death Blessing and curse, therefore choose life that you and your offspring may live, loving the Lord your God, obeying his voice, holding fast to him, for he is your life and length of days that you may dwell in the land of the Lord your, that the Lord swore to your fathers. This is, this is the call of the kingdom. And, and, and Moses gave it in Deuteronomy. And Jesus gives it here in his restatement of the law in Matthew chapter, in Matthew chapter 7. And what you notice here is this word enter. And I'm, I'm, I'm focusing on this word enter. It is, it is written as an imperative. That's to say it's a command. Not, there's no way around it. This isn't a suggestion. Entering is something that is absolutely necessary. And that tells us something, doesn't it? If you're a thinking person, you would understand... That that tells you that you and I are not naturally in the gate, in the right gate. We're, we're not naturally on the right road. In fact, what this is telling us, and I want you to pay very close attention, especially those of you who are here today, and maybe you had the thought that you could get to heaven by many ways. I want you to pay careful attention to this. You must actually and decisively or intentionally enter the kingdom. Kids, pay close attention to this. You don't go to heaven by going to church. You don't go to heaven because your parents somehow, you know, pulled some strings for you and you're in a right standing with God. You were born, and I, we're born into sin. You and I, we're sinners by birth. We are sinners by nature. And that sin, the fact that you are a sinner by nature, places you outside of God's kingdom. You are actually, kids, when you're born, you're actually outside of God's kingdom. You are not naturally part of God's family. And Jesus is not neutral about this. He's not like, well, you know, hey, let me suggest this. Let me just make this 
uh, you know, let me present to you some options for your life. You know, you got a big world. There's a, some of you are at, at, at a crossroads in your life right now. You're making some big decisions for your life. And it's, you know, you can say, well, I can have this option or I could do this. Or Jesus doesn't say there's lots of different options. There's a sense, in fact, of eagerness and necessity that is conveyed in this, what we would call an active imperative. That's what the word enter is. It's an active imperative. Why is it a command? Why is it imperative? Why is there this sense of urgency? Because look, what's at stake? Verse 13 says this. The way is easy that leads to destruction. Verse 23. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Verse 27. And great was the fall of it. This is so urgent. It is a matter of eternal loss and eternal destruction. You must enter the kingdom of heaven through a particular gate. Entering the kingdom of heaven is the same as eternal life. And there's only one gate. There aren't many. You don't get to determine which gate is most convenient for you. There's only one door. Jesus said, truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. John 14, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. Acts chapter 4, there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. 1 Timothy chapter 2, there is one God and there is one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. There is, if you can imagine, there is set before us Two gates. Actually, they're set before us one gate. There aren't many. He says there are just two. And actually, by birth, you're already gone, you've already gone through one. He's not saying, now listen, you're standing there and there's two gates here. Two roads diverged in a whatever. I did really good in whatever class that was. Lunch. Two roads diverged in a yellow wood, and I took the one less traveled by. No, it's not two roads. It's not two ways. Like, okay, this one, this one. No, you're already on. You've already gone through one gate. You've already entered into the wide gate. And there is only one that opens to the pathway of God's kingdom. There's only one that opens to the pathway of the kingdom of heaven. By nature, by birth, you've already entered the wide gate. You're already there. All of us are already there. And that door opens to destruction. That's how serious this is. And what Jesus is saying here is that you actually must enter the narrow gate. In fact, Luke says when when he gives an account of Jesus saying this in another place, he says, strive, agonize. To enter the narrow door. For I tell you, many will seek to enter it and will not be able. This is the necessity of entering. You understand it? You have to enter the gate. But let me show you secondly, the nature of entering the kingdom. The nature. Think about these two gates, these two ways that Jesus presents here. Jesus urges us to choose the narrow gate. 
It's imperative. Why is he... Why is he urging us to choose the narrow gate? Because he says, you see this, verse 13, enter the, by the narrow gate for. It's a little Greek particle. It, it, it refers to a, a cause. Because of this, for the wide gate is wide and the way is easy, but it leads to destruction. We're not talking about annihilation here, but we're talking of, of ruin. Because many enter this gate. These are the reasons to enter the narrow gate. Because of the characteristics of the features of the wide gate. Enter the narrow gate because there's a wide one. And it's easy. And many are that are there. And it's leading to destruction. Think about this. What is the nature of entering? What are the characteristics of entering that he's calling us to? We're going to enter the narrow gate. Narrow. It's. You you have to go through individually. Right? There's one way, which is the way of many, but the other way is the way of few. This gate is said to be narrow. If you imagine a turnstile, one at a time, you don't go in holding someone else's hand. You go by yourself, and you've got to understand this. The nature of entering the kingdom of God is you go in individually, personally. Luke 13, few find this way. I want you to think about this. Jesus said that he came in order to bring division. Remember that? Jesus came to bring division, and that's what he's referring to here. When you leave the wide gate, remember, you're already on the wide path by nature. You've already, coming into the world, you've already gone through the wide gate. Many are there. When you enter into the the narrow gate, in order to enter into the narrow gate, you've got to leave your way. You gotta leave the broad way. You have to strive to enter the kingdom of heaven through the narrow gate and through the hard way. That means you gotta leave the company of your friends. You gotta leave the company even of your family. You step out of the wide way and strive to enter the narrow way and it is by necessity leaving the popular way where everyone agrees with us. And everything is nice and easy and and nobody disagrees and you're just all going your happy way that ultimately leads to destruction. But in order to get into the narrow gate, you can't bring your friends with you. You can't rest on the coattails of your parents, your coworkers, your friends. You go in by yourself. J.C. Ryle said, we have no reason to be discouraged and cast down if the religion we profess is not popular and few agree with us. We must remember the words of our Lord Jesus Christ in this passage. Small is the gate. Repentance and faith in Christ and holiness of life have never been fashionable. (laughs) The true flock of Christ has always been small. It is better, however, to enter into life eternal with a few than go to destruction with a great many. What is the nature of entering? You go in as an individual. You standing before God. 
You giving an account before God. But not only is this entering, the nature of entering, an individual entrance, but it is an intentional entrance. You see what he says here? Verse 13, enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter it are, by it are many, for the gate is narrow and the way is hard. That word hard is a word that refers to something that is restrictive, that is pressing down. Uh, it, it, it's, it's, it's something that causes pain. It's hard. We might say it's hard because it takes effort. Luke 13, 23, you have got to strive to enter. We say, well, what do you mean, Joe? Does that mean achieve? Are you talking about effort in terms of achievement? No, not the way that we think of it. It is the same striving that we do when we see something as more desirable or more valuable than something else. That's the striving. So you go, you go to... to, to to the steakhouse tomorrow and you got a you got a porterhouse steak medium rare to medium and you got a portobello mushroom what what is that i'm going to strive for the steak and it's not even a difficult decision. I'm just going that way. That's, that's the kind of striving that he's talking about. Valuing something more than something else. Now in this context, Jesus is speaking directly to the people here. And he's saying, there is a way that would seem right to you. This is the way of human ideals. The way of human ideas. Man-centered religion. He's saying to us that there is a way that seems right to you. And you've got your ideas. And you think you've got it all figured out. And you know exactly the steps that you need to take. But he says, you've got to abandon that. When the Lord Jesus Christ began to preach the gospel of, of the kingdom of heaven. Do you know what he said? I'll tell you. Mark chapter 1. After John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. That was his message. Repent and believe. He's not just talking to the legalists here. He's not talking to the stiffs, the, the Pharisees. Jesus is using this. He's speaking to everyone. This applies to all of us in our own self-righteous ways, and our own self-righteous ideas. The wide gate and the wide way allows you to remain with all of your preconceived ideas. It allows you to remain, remain with your secret sins. But if you are to be under the kingdom of heaven, you have to enter the narrow gate and the hard way, and there is no room for you to hold on to your preconceived ideas and your secret sins. You cannot hold on to your self-made, self-achieving righteousness. You have to repent. Spurgeon said, you and your sins must separate or you and your God will never come together. I want to tell you why I believe that this gate and this way is so hard to find. And this is not 
the message that you hear in most churches in America today. The, the message you hear in most churches is it's easy. Say these words, sign this card, walk this aisle. It's easy. But that is not the message of Jesus. I'll tell you why I believe it's so hard to find this gate. Many people would say, in fact, probably all of you would say today, heaven is the way I want. But it's hard to find. You know why? Because it's camouflaged. The way to heaven is camouflaged. It's camouflaged with self-abandoning repentance and faith. You have to turn from your sin and you can't hold on to even one part of it. It must all be laid aside. I'm not saying that you must perfect yourself. Don't hear me say that. I'm not saying perfect yourself in order to enter this gate. That's not the case. But you have to lay aside your treasured sin. You who treasure your own ideas of self-conception, you can't enter the gate. You who hold on to bitterness and anger, whether it be against man or God, you can't enter the gate. You who hold as precious your self-esteem and your adultery, your drunkenness, or your religion, you who treasure your family and friends because you don't want to disappoint them and make them feel bad, you can't enter the gate. You can't. Entering the kingdom of heaven means that you see yourself as condemned in your sin. You don't say that the reason that you should be in heaven is because of your parents or your friends or yourself, but you understand that you are a sinner and your sin condemns you to destruction. You understand your wretchedness. You understand that if you do nothing, you will end up in eternal destruction. You've got to abandon yourself. And that means that you don't look at yourself as being enough. You don't look at yourself as being good enough. You don't look at yourself as being adequate. You have to understand that by nature you are not enough. You are not good. Now sometimes people say, now Joe, that's a little... You're talking about me being wretched and for such a worm as I and you're making it sound really, really bad. And the reason that it sounds really, really bad is because it is really, really bad. That's not to say, to, to, to admit that you are a wretch in the eyes of God is not to say that you're not treasured. You are treasured, which is why Jesus is so urgent, saying, enter, enter the kingdom of heaven. I don't want you to go to hell. That's the point of Jesus' urgency here. He, He wants sinners to repent. Why is this the narrow way? Why is this the hard way that leads to life? Why do few find it because there's no room for compromise (laughs) 
There's no room for easy teaching. The teaching that Jesus has given is hard. You know why it's hard? Because he refused to allow us to change God's law to fit our way. He refused to allow us to change God's law to make it easier for us. You've heard that it was said, but I say to you, Jesus did not relax God's law at all. Oh, he fulfilled it, praise the Lord, but he didn't relax it. God's law constantly reveals our imperfection. And what we want to do is we want to change it and make it not seem so, our imperfection to seem so imperfect. It's our temptation for all of us to try to relax the law a bit, to make it easier, to make it more attainable, or to make it null and void. And Jesus says, don't do that. You have to be perfect. You have to be perfect. And you're not. Is it okay to say that? I'm not. I'm not. And neither are you. You must enter the gate. Individually. And intentionally. With repentant faith. And what I love about Jesus is he's the master teacher. And he brings it all together at the end of this chapter with this story. A story that you know well and that I know well. And what makes Jesus such a masterful teacher is his ability to take what is so difficult. Enter the gate, strive to enter without earning it. So difficult to understand. And he puts it into a story that my grandsons can sing and understand. The wise man built his house upon the rock and the foolish man built his house upon the sand. Look at the narrative for entering the kingdom, verses 24 through 27. How in the world can you enter the kingdom of heaven? What does it mean? Joe, how do I want to enter? And I know it's difficult, and I know it's hard, and I know i gotta, I got to turn away from my friends and my family and just go in as an individual, me before God, and I, and I don't want to hold on to my sin, and I just want to go to Christ. I want to go to God. What does it mean? How do I repent and believe? Well, Jesus says, everyone who hears these words of mine and does them, Everyone, there, there, there's, there's, there's no exclusion here. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does them is like a wise man who builds his house on the rock and the rains come, they fall, the floods came and the winds blow and beat on the house but it did not fall because it is founded on the rock. The rock is the words of Jesus Christ. In this sermon, I could say it's the words of Jesus Christ that he just delivered in this sermon. Hearing these words and doing them. Hearing these words and putting them into practice. Hearing these words and making application. That is, if you want to enter the kingdom of heaven, you have to abandon any hope of self-righteousness. 
to be poor in spirit and mourn and meek and to hunger and thirst for righteousness, to seek mercy and purity in heart. You have to abandon any hope of self-righteousness, any hope that anything, any, any small merit that you would say, you know, I have this going for me. You, you abandon it. And you leave behind your animosity toward God and humble yourself as you recognize that you need a heart transformation in order to come into the kingdom of heaven. You, you understand that you at the core have broken and continually break God's law. You've got to hear the words, the words of Christ, and put them into practice. There's one way. You recognize, you know what? There's only one way of blessedness. There's only one way of the kingdom. And you cannot relax God's law in order to make it more friendly to you. You have to recognize that you need a holy perfection before God. And you take the focus off of yourself and you put it directly on your own heart. The reason that you're on the broad way is not because of someone else. It's because of you. You don't blame anyone else. It's me. It's me. It's me. It's me, O Lord, standing in the need of prayer. Right? Take the focus off of others and put it directly on your own heart. You can't listen to the false teachers who take a message and they pervert it. You humble yourself. Turning from your sin, that sin is only going to get me destruction. My ideas, my self-earning is only going to get me destruction. And I look to Jesus Christ who is the perfect fulfillment of the law. Who did for me what I could never do And he lived perfectly without sin, not even one time, lived a blameless and perfectly innocent life, a holy life before God, fulfilled all the law, and then took that perfect life. Listen, he took that perfect life all the way up on the hill called Calvary, where he submitted to death, to crucifixion, and he hung there. And he bled and died as the propitiating sacrifice for your sin. And you say, I'm going to base my life on that. I see one hanging on a tree. And you're going to trust in that one who suffered and bled and died and who was placed into a tomb And three days later, he physically was raised again. And you're going to trust him. Nothing in my hand I bring. The hymn writer said, simply to thy cross I cling. And that's how you enter. We are all naturally on the wide road. We're all naturally, humanly, on the way to destruction. Strive to enter the narrow gate and the hard way because it leads to life. Build your life. That, that, that little children's chorus, there's, you know, everyone adds another chorus and it, 
And the, the chorus that I heard recently, so build your life on the Lord Jesus Christ. Build your life on the Lord Jesus Christ. Build your life on the Lord Jesus Christ and the blessings will come down. Right? Take what He says and make that your foundation for spiritual life. Do you know for sure that if you were to die today that you'd be with God in heaven? Are, have you entered the narrow gate forsaking all others and trusting Christ alone You've entered the narrow gate. Can you say that this morning? Has there been a time in your life where you've repented of your sin and believed on on the Lord Jesus Christ? Is that your life? If not, would you today, individually, intentionally, decide in your heart to turn from your sin and from your self-trust and to rely on the Lord Jesus Christ alone? And that's your only assurance. His word. I'm not going to sprinkle you with dust. I'm not going to say a bunch of words. I'm not going to give you any. I don't give you any assurance. It's his word. Jesus said, whoever comes to me, I'll never cast them out. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. You will be saved. That's his word. Stake your life on it, brothers and sisters. Those of you who've been, you've already entered the gate, you're on the narrow way, as it were. It doesn't get any wider, does it? (laughs) It doesn't get any easier, does it? But we're journeying, just like Christian in, in Pilgrim's Pride, we're journeying towards a heavenly city whose builder and maker is God having abandoned ourselves, having abandoned our own self-concepts and self-righteousness, having abandoned our sin, we set our eyes on the Lord Jesus Christ and we keep walking all the way until we reach that celestial city and life eternal. Let's pray. And so, Father, I pray today that you would write these words on our heart and help us to not abandon these words, neglect these words, ignore these words. But these, let these be words of life to us on which we stake life and eternity, on which we stake our hope, the words of the Lord Jesus Christ. Your words are life, O Lord. And I pray for those who are here today, perhaps that young man, that young woman right now, who's wondering if they've really ever entered the gate, the narrow gate, and that you by an act of your spirit would bring conviction of sin and the gift of of new birth by which they might repent of their sin and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. And encourage that older saint now as, as they walk the way and it's, it's the straight and it's the narrow path and it's difficult. And yet it leads to life everlasting. Help us to not turn back. But continue on following Christ all the days of our lives. And we'll give you praise in Jesus' name and all God's children said. Amen. Would you stand together? And John's gonna-